Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, we are going to talk about highly sensitive people. Now, you may have heard that term, but you don't really understand what it means. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't either. <laughs> so, so I did some research ahead of time. I said, you know, I kind of like to understand what we're talking about before we start interviewing people. And um, I, I even went through and I did some tests, and we're gonna we're gonna link to it so y'all can y'all can take the test and see get some more information about it. And it was kind of cool because even the test kind of gives you an idea about some more of the details. But I've I've done a search. Y'all know that I, I search for experts that can give us you know more information and, and details. And I really like finding experts that not only can give us details and have researched it. But I love to find experts that have actually lived it, that you know, that, that understand it from the inside out. And I went all the way to Australia today to find an expert. So today we're going to talk to Jane Donovan. And she is a love coach, a radio host, a presenter, an author, a columnist, and a matchmaker. She lives in Adelaide, South Australia, with her husband and her two teenage daughters. And her clients call her the magician. I have a feeling we're going to find out why. And radio stations call her the love doctor, the love guru. And she says she likes to describe herself as a love, happiness, dating, and relationship coach that works with, for the love gods and the angels. How about that? So I think, I think she's going to be a good fit. So Jane, it's awesome to have you with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. It's lovely to be here. You know, I think we're going to share some great information. We're going to share some information about about things that, that you've gone through and, and ways that you found to, to deal with this situation. And I think we're probably going to talk about ways that you've helped your daughters to deal with this situation because I, I listen to your podcast, so I kind of have the scoop. <laughs> 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 Terrific. Look, I know I've got lots to share on this topic. You do, you do, and I, I love having guests on that are passionate about what we're talking about, and you know, I kind of get this inkling you're a little passionate about this topic. Just a little bit, having lived this for 53 <laughs> years of my existence, having two beautiful teenage children who are also highly sensitive, and more importantly, having learnt to really manage this trait to embrace the gifts that come from it and be able to share that with other people so that I really believe this information is a game changer because so often the highly sensitive people believe that there is something deeply wrong with them they don't know they're highly sensitive all they know is that their feelings get hurt very easily, that the world overwhelms them, that they sometimes can't stop crying, they can't hold the tears in, that they wear their heart on their sleeve, that the emotions are there for everybody to see, and they just can't manage themselves very well in comparison to what they see the rest of the world do. So this is a game-changing conversation, Nikki. You know what I, I love is the idea of being able to manage this because I think so many people may feel it's something that, that manages them, something that takes over their life to the point where they can't, they can't balance it and they can't manage it. So I, I, love, I love that that's one of the first things you said, that we're going to help people to understand how they can manage their lives. So 
awesome. We didn't plan that. She said it, and I love it. (laughs) Yeah, look, this is all about self-empowerment. There's no victim in this. We'll let people have a little short victim pity party about poor me. I've got this trait. I'm highly sensitive. It's not fair. I don't want to be like this. And then we're going to tell people to get over that, embrace it, and let's flip the scales. Let's give you tools to manage it. But even further than that, I want to help people to embrace this as the magnificent gift it is. And that's really exciting when people can think, okay, you know what, there's these challenges, there's this hard stuff I've got to put up with or I've got to learn to manage or I've got to do things differently. But wow, as a result of having this trait, I've got all of this in my life, which is magic. So that's where the magician comes in. Awesome, awesome. Okay, for people that are listening that don't have a clue in the world what a highly sensitive person is, how would they be able to identify a highly sensitive person if they saw one? Okay, well, it's easier for highly sensitive people to identify other highly sensitive people because highly sensitive people have that sixth sense. They're very good at reading the nonverbal communication, the body language. You know, they might listen to somebody speaking and they will hear when the breath is taken in, which they will know how to interpret what that meaning is behind the statement that is said. They read the unreadable that most people, well, most people would say is the unreadable. So a highly sensitive person will spot it in another very easily. But the easiest way in the positive is that highly sensitive people tend to have a lot of traits in common. Most of them, if not 100%, the 100% of the thousands I've met over the year, it's, it's everybody, they're kind, loyal, trustworthy, honest, generous, loving, compassionate, empathetic, giving, supportive, and just so reliable, trustworthy to have around them. So they're really good friends. They're really loyal employees. They're very compassionate and kind customers, and they make the best partners in the sense that you will always feel safe in your love with a highly sensitive person. There's the downsides, but that's the positive sides to start with. So identifying in the positive is somebody that has an abundance of that kind of, those kind of traits. Identifying it in the negative, let's start with childhood. Now, this is not all highly sensitive, but a lot of people have been given the label of shy. Oh, excuse my little daughter, she's shy. Or my son, yeah, he's, he's a little bit shy and he'll take a while to warm up before joining in on the birthday party or joining in on the soccer field or things like that. So shyness is a label that has been given to not all, but a lot of highly sensitive people. It certainly wasn't ever given to me, but it is the, the majority will be given that label. Now, what's actually happening with the highly sensitive person is that their nervous system is taking in more sensory information at the same time as a non-highly sensitive person. Now, I'm going to abbreviate it to HSP from this point forward. <laughs> and so the non-HSP person in society is roughly 80%, 80 to 83%. That means that that leaves 17 to 20% of the population in the entire planet are highly sensitive. It's in every species, every single one, and it is believed to be the survival gene 
of any species. So a highly sensitive person, because they've got the ability to read more that's going on in any given situation than a non-highly sensitive, means that they're the one that's sitting there saying, you know what guys, I don't think we'll get you to press that button that's going to drop a bomb now because I don't think you've recognized that this, this and this is going on because they are observing more of the picture. So they're very much the, uh, the pause before flight. So you've got that fight or flight. They're going to be in that middle section observing more before making the decision. So when somebody walks into, say, a room, Let's say my husband and I walk into a room. Now, my husband's not HSP. He nevertheless is a sensitive person. So I want it to be clear that that 80 to 83% that are not highly sensitive, it doesn't mean that you're not kind and sensitive and compassionate. I'm sure that many of your listeners, if not all of your listeners, absolutely are. But it means they don't have it in the extremes and have the challenges that we have to face. So I walk into a room with my husband. And he walks in and he says, oh, wow, I really like this song. Bar's over there. Let's go get ourselves a drink. I walk into the room and go, oh, I like this song. Bar's over there. Let's go get ourselves a drink. Let's stay away from those people. They look like they're on edge and about to have a bit of a barney. Wow, the room's really hot, isn't it? What's that gorgeous food I can smell? And look at those friendly party people over there. I've got to make sure I see them later in the night. So I will take in a lot more information in exactly the same time. Does that make sense, Nikki? Right, so you're much, much more aware and all of your senses are kicking in. Yes. So I often use, instead of saying highly sensitive, another way is to say highly sensory. And okay. that you really are taking in all of the information from all of your senses. And so what happens with the shy person, they're not actually shy, they're processing. They're right. processing a lot more information before going, right, where is it safe? Where is the right place for me? Where is it that I feel most comfortable? Um, because they're very aware. And most highly sensitive people will also have incredible manners because they are so compassionate and empathetic that they're very aware of stepping in and not doing the wrong thing or not making a situation worse. They'll often step in with the desire to make a situation better. So that's what's going on with the shy person. The other trigger that you might identify when you're observing a highly sensitive person is they might become overwhelmed. They are really good at having massive meltdowns. Now, these meltdowns are off the charts. So if it's a child, it is the biggest tantrum that you've ever seen any child throw regardless of age. If it's an adult, it's just like a child's big tantrum. It is literally, stop the world, I've got to get off. I cannot cope with one more thing. And that is where the whole body has gone into total overload and they need to shut down. And so man understanding the early warning signs of when you're getting into overload and having tools that are planned, that are put into place to prevent you from getting to that point of, of complete meltdown is crucial to the happy survival of a HSP. Um, anxiety. Here's the big one. I right. don't have this yet 100% scientifically proven. I am... I am in the process of doing research. I'm just going to put a prediction out. So please know this is just a prediction. This is not a fact. But my research is showing the early signs of anybody 
who is suffering from anxiety. And I'm talking about they suffer long term. I'm not saying that, oh, somebody's anxious because they've heard a rumor going around the office that, you know, they're making redundancies and that they're anxious because they might lose their job. That's an understandable anxiety. I'm talking about people that have high functioning anxiety where they, it, they are constantly on edge. They are constantly having various different signs of anxiety and they don't know how to shut it down and they don't know how to get rid of it. So it's continual. Now the signs are showing that that's, as I said earlier, 17 to 20, uh, 18 to 20% of the Western population are suffering from anxiety. Now I'm, I'm looking at between 85 and 90% of those people are highly sensitive. So instead of saying, I suffer from anxiety, I don't know how to get rid of this, or you know, I keep taking this medication, I don't really like this medication, it helps me in one way, but it gives me so many other challenges, I don't like the person I become when I'm numbed out on whatever I'm numbing out on to alleviate the anxiety. Let's understand what's going on with your nervous system. Let's really get this so understood that you know yourself incredibly well, that you can manage your anxiety so that you have still anxiety on occasions but it's not a constant it's like almost a surprise when you feel well I'm in anxious mode again but you know exactly what to do to manage that if you know people that suffer from anxiety then you're looking I suspect at about 85% 90% of those people are likely to be highly sensitive and that's exciting news because, you know, the world oh, yeah. is filled with people, you know, suffering from anxiety and they're going, I don't know what to do about this. And the Western profession isn't knowing, medical profession isn't knowing really what to do about it. And it, it seems to be on the increase. We've got teenage suicide out of control. Anxiety, I'm sure, has got a huge part to play in that. Um, and so often anxiety, of course, leads to depression, which can lead to suicidal thoughts. So when we start going, there's a reason why you're feeling anxious. And we can help you understand that. And not just that, but we're going to give you all the tools, and I'm sure, Nikki, that we're going to get into a lot today. We can give you all the tools that you need to manage it. And then we're going to give you the biggest gift of all, and that is understanding the amazing gifts of who you are as a unique individual human being. And that is where I'm finding, you know, my coaching clients and people that have done my online courses are absolutely flying free with huge wings on their shoulders, expanding their lives in ways they never dreamed possible because they recognize the gifts they've got and they're able to manage and embrace their sensitivity. Awesome. Yeah, I am. I, well, I used to work for a chiropractor and our whole thing was, you know, don't, don't just throw medication at a problem. Figure out the root cause of the problem and tackle that. You know, figure out what's causing it and get to it. And that's, that's what I like about coaching. You don't just throw medicine at the problem. You figure out the problem and then you do the work to fix the problem. That's the way. So the same thing you're saying, you know, give the person the tools they need to fix the problem. I like that. This is good. Okay. Good. <clears throat> yeah. And you're right. Look, I... I too believe that you know everything 
Anxiety is a symptom. Having a meltdown is a symptom. Being allegedly shy is a symptom. None of these things are you as a person. It's just your body expressing, trying to get your attention to go, you know what, there's a better way of living. There's a better way of being. So it's your body physically trying to talk to you. And we don't listen. And so when we take pills, we numb out. We're actually saying to our body, shut up. And that's, you know, your body's going, well, no, I'm trying to get your attention. And it just goes on to something else. Now, I am a fan of everybody doing whatever they've got to do to get through what they've got to get through. So if people are on medication, I'm not saying don't go throwing your tablets away. That's crazy. You know, please don't do that. What I'm a fan of is if you are finding yourself completely overwhelmed and you're not coping, get the Western medicine that you need to be able to do what you've got to get through. But while you're on that medication, don't believe that's fixing the problem. That's masking the symptoms. And so what you've then got to do is go, while you're feeling good or you're feeling better because of the medication, then that's the time to do the work on the inner game. You know, we've got our outer game and our inner game. We've got to get into the inner game. And I know your whole gorgeous... All of your over 100 episodes of Ready to Love are all about know yourself, you know, the self-love, self-worth, self-respect, self-acceptance. And that's what we've got to do here too, is get to know ourselves. We don't learn this at school. We don't know how to get to know ourselves. And we've got to learn who we are from the inside out so that we can live empowered, free, exciting lives to, to tackle and embrace whatever we want to in our life. Okay, so how are some of the ways that people who, if they think this sounds like them but they're not quite sure, what are some of the ways that they can, maybe they can go into the self-test that that I found on the website. How can they go into that and kind of get more information and see if maybe this is something that that they're dealing with in in their own lives? Okay, beautiful. Great question, Nikki. Look, first off, I want to acknowledge the founding researcher of this. It's a lady called Dr. Elaine Aaron, and she's a psychotherapist from from the States who, uh, back in 1996, was doing her thesis. And her professor suggested to her that there may be this trait known as sensitivity. And so she did her thesis on it and discovered that, yes, There it is, 17 to 20% of the population are highly sensitive, including Dr. Elaine Aaron. So she's gone on to write a heap of amazing books, you know, The Highly Sensitive Person, The Highly Sensitive Child, The Highly Sensitive Person in Love, um, How to Love a Highly Sensitive Person, because we can be challenging at times. And uh, she created a wonderful self-test. I think it's uh, 27 questions. It's very easy. It's black or white. So you can either head to my website, which is janedonovan.com.au, don't forget the AU because I'm down under. Um, or you can head to Dr. Elaine Aaron's website and you can get the test. But some of the questions that, that, the, that she will ask or that's in the questionnaire is that they're very black and white. You know, it's do you seem to be aware of subtleties in your environment? You know, do you get rattled easily when you've got a lot to do in a short amount of time? You know, are you made uncomfortable by loud noises? Now, for example, with me, I I spent 23 years in the entertainment industry. I loved loud noises in terms of, you know, 50,000 people at a sports stadium cheering or being in a nightclub with doof-doof music going until all hours of the morning. But if there's a sudden loud noise, 
I instantly am in heightened alert and it's like fingernails down a blackboard. It's like a red hot poker has gone right through my nervous system and I am on heightened alert. And as a result of that, instantly I've got cortisol flooding my brain. And as you know, cortisol is not a great thing. It's a stress hormone. It depletes the serotonin, which is what makes our memory function. And it leaves us as us very tired. So that can be an example. Actually, that's just a bit of science behind the whole what goes on when we get overwhelmed. Um, so for me, I really dislike loud noises that are sudden. So you've got to look at these questions and think, well, yes, in some situations, no in others. Or it might be a clear yes or no. Or it might be yes in a huge extreme. So while you go through these questionnaires, there's 27 questions. Now, when I first did the test and that I discovered this research back in, would have been, I think it was late 90s, maybe 2000. So it was brand new research, which is why no one's heard about this or not many people have heard about it. I'm still educating doctors, psychologists, um, counsellors, teachers, parents, about this all the time and it's why I'm so grateful Nikki you let me come on to talk today because it's such new research it's just not out there yet it's just going to take you know another 20 years before everybody knows about it but if you do this questionnaire when I did it I think I got 25 out of 27 and I went oh yeah I'm highly 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 sensitive but if I were to do this questionnaire now a lot of these things I've learned to manage I could probably say maybe 10 of them still affect me, but I know how to manage them. And the rest of them don't affect me at all because I've healed my past. I've learned to not take things personally. I've learned how to not make assumptions. I've learned to really change my mindset. I've learned to speak my truth so I can have the conversations that don't lead to assumptions being made, that don't lead to feelings being hurt, etc. I'm much more self-empowered. So doing a questionnaire can change over time. It's only a guideline. I know somebody that only ticked four boxes out of this, but they were in such extreme that the highly sensitive course really helped him because they were those four things were really ruling his life. So another person might, might be like me, might tick 25, and they might go, they're fine. Or is me for 25? I was destroying everything in my life, Nikki. I was destroying my friendships, my workplace relationships, my relationship with my husband, because I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that there was something deeply wrong with me, and I didn't know what it was. And I can go right back to being as young as seven, and that was the moment I realized I was different. To everyone else and not different in a good way I thought I was different in a bad way that's where the teachers started saying stop taking things so personally or parents or friends you're a crybaby what's wrong with you I just knew that my feelings were being hurt every day all day day after day week after week month after month year after year and I couldn't understand why but when I would say to people how do I not get hurt? Nobody could answer my question. Nobody. Not for decades. When I said, how do I stop taking things personally? Nobody could answer me. When I said, how do I stop the tears? I can't stop the tears. I don't want to show my emotion. You know, in Western society, we, we have in the past seen 
emotion as being a weakness. It's not a strength. Oh, boy, I'm so excited to turn that on its head and say, yeah, baby, show your emotion is exciting. I demand that in my life, and I demand it of the people I care about most. However, nobody could tell me. So I lived a very self-destructive life for a long time. I was around 15, 16 years old when I decided that I'm going to capitulate. I am actually going to learn to mimic everybody else and be like them. And because the HSPs are really good at reading body language and the subtleties, I actually was a very good actor. And I did go into entertainment as a dancer, and I was great at mimicking everything that anyone showed me. So I just changed to fit in. And I became, I'll hurt you before you hurt me. I became the mean girl. In fact, I suspect a lot of mean girls are actually highly sensitive. They're definitely suffering anxiety. And I became the person I didn't want to be. And it wasn't until I found this research that I went, oh my goodness, this is a thing. This is real. I'm not alone. And that was exciting. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, which actually ties in with, with bits and pieces that I heard, is do, do highly sensitive people tend to maybe overcompensate in their reactions to how they're feeling in their lives? Do they maybe, um, if, what, what am I trying to say? I, I know what I'm thinking, but I'm probably not saying it really well. If, if they're feeling that they want to be overly shy and, and keep things more to themselves, do they maybe come out much more bold and brash to overcompensate for what they're feeling. Do you know what I'm some, trying to say? Yes, I do. Great question. Look, some people will. So strictly speaking, if, just to use easy maths, if we say 20% of the population are HSP, 17% of those people will identify as being introverted and 3% will identify as being extroverted. Now, the extroverted are usually what they call high sensation seeking. Now, that's me. So I'm in that 3%. And that sensation seeking ability is what lets me host my own radio show. It's what lets me jump online and talk to you now about this. And that's why I feel it's such a responsibility for me to be able to give a voice to this trait because the 17% that have this trait are possibly too introverted to be able to do that because the thought of standing on a stage completely overwhelms them. But the 3% that are extroverted are going to jump all over that. So in a natural sense, yes, that can occur. The other side that can occur, though, is that Somebody who's highly sensitive and really actually wants to be more introverted than extroverted could be acting out as an over-the-top extroverted person to protect themselves. A lot of highly sensitive people have adopted primary operating personalities that are not authentic to who they are. So they feel that they can fit in, number one, or number two, so that they feel that they can protect themselves and keep themselves safe. So, for example, in my case, it was like, I don't want my feelings being hurt anymore, so I'm just going to become a really strong, tough bully, for want of a better word. Look, I wasn't a bully all the time, but I was, I was definitely a very over-the-top character 
I deliberately created a persona of slight intimidation to protect me, to keep me okay. safe. And so that worked for me for a long time until it stopped working for me. And then I had to learn a different way of being. So I had to learn about authenticity. So you're quite right that there are plenty of sensitive people that are operating in what I call the shadow side. You know, we can operate in our positive or in our negative. Now, if we've done the self-development, if we've done the work on ourselves, we will then be operating in the positive as a sensitive person, which means you can be introverted if you want. You can be extroverted when you want. You can be loving, heart-centered, and show all of your beautiful gifts while not having the fear of, you know, not being safe. But if you haven't done the self-development, then the chances are you're going to be in the shadow side. You're going to be operating from the negative. And that is where we get into inauthentic operating personalities, triggers, not having healed their past. It's, you know, that voice in the head of, I'm not good enough, smart enough, rich enough, funny enough, clever enough, pretty enough, whatever, fill in the blank. That voice is driving the show. That inner child that was that learnt from such a young age that they're not good enough, that there's something wrong with them, that they deeply know there is something wrong with them. That's their belief at this point. Then that person has got that inner voice running the show in adulthood. And that's what we've got to help heal, reframe, change and create a new awareness of self, learn the greater sense of self-love and embracing both the good and the bad about ourselves. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I, I know that I was, I was very quiet, very shy, just kind of stayed in the background as a kid all the time. And, and I, I would have people, certain people that I, I know would always try to say something something mean and hurtful and that kind of thing. And I, I just got to the point where I would I would always beat them to the punch. I would say something insulting about myself, kinda of like what I knew they would say before they said it. Just always did. Because, right. you know, it, it didn't hurt as bad coming from me as it was gonna hurt coming from them. You know, so pre preemptive. That's right. It's yes, <laughs> no. exactly. And that that's a mechanism that works. And that's where we learn self, you know, put downs, where we're putting ourselves down. It's like I'll get in before you can. And it worked exactly. for us for a while until we realize I'm so tired of putting myself down. I don't right. want to feel this way about me. I am special. I am unique. And here's the truth. Every person listening on a deeper level, like you might go, no, I don't believe that about me. I'm not unique. I'm not special. Go deeper. Go really deep within your core, really where you are completely free to be me, completely free to be your own unique self. Everything is safe. All is well. Now, in that spot, you know you are unique. You are special. You are beautiful talented, smart, compassionate, kind, loving, incredible human being. And every person, if they can get to that inner core point where they are completely safe, all is well, that is who they are. 
and that's what we want to help people to get to. Get to your core, get the tools that you need to have the healthy boundaries, learn how to speak your truth, learn how to not take things personally, learn how to manage the physical side of your body, learn how to manage the internal dialogue that's going on in your head. Get a louder cheerleader voice that says, I am not putting myself down anymore. I am worthy of more and I am going to learn to love myself. Yeah, baby. That's my message. I say that on here all the time. (laughs) Great. Awesome. Keep saying it because we all need to hear it more and more and more. And it is the key to happiness without any shadow of a doubt. I say that on Facebook a lot too. A whole lot. (laughs) Good. Keep saying it, Nikki. Awesome. Something something else I I noticed, because I I did listen to your show when you were talking about this too. You were talking about inauthenticity of the individual. Uh, I thought that was an interesting, interesting point. You want to kind of share a little bit more information about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is for every person listening, regardless of whether you're HSP or not, is that whenever we are operating from fear, anything that we are doing that is a negative behavior, whether it's an internal thought process about ourselves or it's an internal thought process about another, perhaps we're judging, perhaps in our mind we're having a nasty conversation with somebody, or any time that we speak or act in a way that is not coming from love but coming from fear, you are operating from the shadow side of your authentic self. And it is because you feel you're not safe. So there are limiting beliefs that are holding back your ability to be able to live an authentic life based on who you are. And that is why self-development is so important because it, it stops us from living in fear. If we think every time we have a tone in our voice, we use a sarcastic word or we have body language of rolling our eyes or or turning our back on somebody or any time that we want to just have a bit of a crack, a bit of a nasty comment at somebody or we want to tell somebody off or any time that we want to make somebody else wrong so that we are right, then we are operating from fear. So what's Ooh. your fear? You've got to work out what your fears are. And once you identify what your fear is, you put the magnifying glass on it. And you ask yourself, is this true? Is this really true? So let's use an everyday example. Fear might be around money. I haven't got enough money. And your partner comes home and your partner just says, look what I've just bought. And you hit the roof. You go into immediate reaction of anger. How dare he or she go and purchase something without consulting me? He or she knows that money is tight. We're not in financial abundance. This isn't fair and this isn't right and it shouldn't have happened. So you go into lashing out. What are you in fear of? You're in fear of, you've got to look, I'm going to take a step back to that. So what you're doing is you're making the other person wrong and you right. They shouldn't have spent money. That's the first observation. Or maybe you're annoyed that they got to go and have fun spending money and you want to go and have fun spending money. But either way, you're annoyed at them, you know? So you're having a crack at them and it's leading to World War III. You're about to have a great big fight. 
Um, or you're going to go into the silence thing of, you know, you either fight or flight. If you flight and you run away and you go into silence and go into your girl or boy cave, either way, it's not a healthy moment. Instead, what you can do is observe that that is your trigger. That's the trigger. I just received a strong emotional reaction to something that happened. That's called a trigger. So when we get triggered, the next step is for us to start to think, what am I triggered about? I'm triggered that he got to spend money or she got to spend money and I didn't. And I want to spend money. Then why are you not spending money? Well, I'm not spending money because we haven't got any spare money. Well, have we, is that really true? Have we got spare money? Or is, are the correct words more, I have chosen not to prioritize by spending money on this particular thing. You know, the chances are you've got money, you're just choosing to spend it differently. The people listening to this show will have money. Their bills in general will be paid. So now we can go, well, really, what's the real truth here? Well, the truth is that I have a fear of continual money coming in and being in excess of what it is I need going out. So now we go deeper and go, right, so you've got a lack of abundance. You've got a lack of belief in the fact that money flows easily and effortlessly. Money comes in, it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. It's just energy. We give so much thought around money. We put energy into money. And it's a distorted, limiting belief. So then we look at it. And then we look at our history and think, well, really, when was the last time I couldn't pay the bills? And I'm not talking about jumping on the phone and saying to a phone company or, a, or an electricity company or whatever, you know, can I have a payment plan? Things are a bit tight this month. Can I, you know, pay it off over two months or whatever? That's everyday budgeting. But when was the last time you seriously could not pay a bill? When was the last time you didn't have food on your table? Seriously. And I'm not talking about having lobster and caviar. I'm talking about everyday food to a lifestyle that you have lived most of your decades in. And the answers will be, I can't actually tell you. Now, occasionally you'll get somebody that will say, yes, I can tell you I was homeless. And there's usually a story around that that actually isn't to do with money. So in Western society, in middle class culture, our bills are paid. We've got a roof over our head. We've got food on the table. We've got clothes on our back. So it's a limiting belief. Now, where does that come from? That comes from our parents. Maybe our parents or our grandparents went through the depression. Guess what? There was scarcity then. There wasn't money. They were hungry. That's a whole different thing. But in our generation, this is not happening. So it's an old tape that we've automatically taken on without examining. So as we examine our beliefs, we ask ourselves, is this true? And usually the answer is no. So fear is stopping us from being our authentic self. Our authentic self is, I look at another human being and they've got so much joy in their face. They've been out shopping. They've bought something that's made them really happy. And I love sitting in their energy of their happiness. Might not be what I want, but hey, I love seeing how happy they are. That's our natural personality. It's not to fight. Does that make sense? Well, and so many times it just, people just are irritated when they see another person happy for any reason, which is really yeah. sad. 
You know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But that's also a signpost of I want more of, you know, I actually do want that in my life, but I'm too scared. And the inner child voice is going, it's not fair. You've got no right to be happy. People shouldn't be happy. Mm. Don't you know the world's a scary place? All of this bad stuff can happen. And again, mm. where's that come from? They probably had four generations of, of, you know, let's say at least two generations prior to them that they've heard the tapes of the world's a bad place. It's not safe. And so they're miserable people. It's a default. But that can be shifted. That can be changed. I've been able to, you know, help people really change all of this stuff through the courses. It's it's like watching magic. It's exciting. But you know what? You've got to put the effort into it. You have to put the effort into making that change. Yeah. Look, and if people don't want to make the change, it's only because they're not in enough pain. You know, if, if people are not doing the work, it's because... They don't feel they have to. They're happy enough. And that's okay. It's not my place to judge who's, you know, who's on what scale of the happiness charts. If they're happy no. enough, then that's great. Good on them. I want more happiness, so I keep doing the work. I never stop doing the work. <laughs> well, you know, you know on, the, on the sales page for, for my um, Love, Accept, and Respect Yourself program, I, I've actually got a section there of the responsibilities for the person who's going to buy it. And, and I, I very clearly say there are responsibilities. They have responsibilities. They have yes. to be ready to make a change, and they have to put the effort into it. And if yes. those two things aren't present, don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. that's right. Like, well, I actually give a money-back guarantee. Yeah, I give a money-back guarantee as long as they've done every module. They've done every yep. module and they've not had their, their uh, life you know, completely changed. Then, yeah, have your money back. That just means I actually have failed. Hasn't happened yet, but you know, hey, it could. It absolutely could. You don't know, but it, yeah. it, it is true. You know, they've got to have self ownership. People have to have self ownership. But the exciting thing is about self development, and whether it's about like your beautiful course of love, or whether it's about you know overcoming anxiety, or whether it's about managing and embracing, um, you know, being highly sensitive. Whatever course it is you're looking at doing, the exciting thing is that when you commit and you start, it's the very first tool that you tackle and master makes you feel better. It's like so exciting because from this point forward, you've now got a better day-to-day than you had yesterday. So it's like, go go get the next tool. Get the next one and the next one and the next one because it just keeps getting better. And sure, you'll always have the sense that you slip back. So actually, I want to talk about, if I may, Nikki, about being highly sensitive. So having these overwhelmed moments. I used to get overwhelmed and have meltdowns all the time. And it was a real sensory thing. I had to shut down. I had to become alone. I had to have sleep is my best friend. That's my natural painkiller. And so... I would I would do that and I still do it to this day. But where I might have meltdowns all the time, you know, there might be one a day, one a week, whatever. What happens when you start to get into self-development is that you will still have what we may use the words bad days or bad moments. So whatever your pattern of behavior is, if it's anxiety, it might be that I'm having an anxious moment again. Or if it's highly sensitive, it might be I'm having a meltdown, I'm overloaded sensory overloaded again. But what happens is that the gaps between the incidences get longer. Right. Exactly. And 
Yeah, and that's exciting. And the period that you stay in the trauma of whatever it is, whether it's anxiety or perhaps with your course it might be like self, uh, low self-worth or lack of confidence or maybe with the sensitivity it might be, you know, the period of being in an overwhelmed state. But that period gets shorter because you've now got the tools that you know to kick in to manage it. So where maybe somebody, like for example, I got an email a week ago from somebody that's about, I think they're about halfway through doing the Free to Be Me anxiety course. And what happened there, they said they've just been triggered, something that is a pattern for them to get triggered in their anxiety. And normally it would render them taking time off of work and being bedridden for usually about a week to two weeks. But she actually said she only felt off kilter for about two hours. Now that's, oh, that's a amazing. massive difference, isn't it? And this that's happens in massive. any... This isn't just my course. This is anybody's, anybody who commits to self-development, this is what you experience, is that when you get the tools, the right tools, and you implement them by having the wisdom of knowing what your early triggers are, then the, episode, the period of time that you stay in feeling yucky in whatever that is, is so much shorter. And then the gaps are so much bigger that you've got a massive part of the pie that is now a whole lot happier. So I, I share that because I don't. I think it's important that people don't feel like all the work they've done has come undone when they have a bad moment, when right. their patterns repeat. You know, it's not a bad moment. You haven't undone everything. All the good work you've done hasn't disappeared. It's almost like the universe is saying all right, you've done all this great work. We want to prove something to you that's amazing. You're going to get tested. And you right. get tested. And then you gather the evidence of, wow, look how fast I recovered from that. Wow, look at how well I handled that. I didn't destroy a single relationship. I didn't say things I didn't want to say to hurt others. I behaved in a really cool way where I managed myself brilliantly. I feel so good about me. And that's exciting. So, yeah, you had an episode, big deal, no problems, but look at how well you handled it. And then the other exciting thing for me, so when I have a big meltdown and over, sensory overwhelmed, I knew it's likely to be like six months before I have another one. And I think, good, that's ticked off the list for a while. You're really, yeah. <laughs> do, you find, do, do you find the same thing, Nikki, in, in the, with you that, you know, your patterns, the gaps get bigger and the episodes get shorter? Yes, well, and, and I, I like being tested because I like knowing that I've come through it, you know, and the test is behind me, and I, and I survived it, you know. Yeah. That's like I was, I, I, a friend of mine, that, I mean, she's been like an adopted mom to me since I was like six or seven, and I hadn't seen her in probably seven or eight years, and I, I got to see her last weekend. And, and we were joking, and I said, and, and I, I was joking with her, and I said, I've, I've got this new theory. I said, you know, I, I'm 51. I have no issues with that at all. I said, and I've got this new theory that, you know, I, I, am, I own every wrinkle, every scar on my body. And I said, and I'm proud of them. And I survived them all, and I'm good with that. You know, it's the same thing with tests. You know what? I've been through them. I survived them, and I'm proud of every one of them. You know what? Brilliant. I faced them. I yes. survived them, and I'm good. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's very validating when we have the evidence when we are tested, it gives us an opportunity to be the science experiment to ourselves and go, wow, look at that. I actually did really well there. It's incredibly self-empowering. And, you know, yes. that's what we want to get to, the point where each of us walking this planet, 
it's self-empowered. We're not yeah. giving our power away to another. We are holding it within ourselves, and that's exciting. I, well, I just think that's wonderful. If we're, if we're never tested, how do we know what we can overcome? That's right, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, with highly sensitive people, they do get tested all the time because we are often placed in situations where we know we're going to go into sensory overload. So there are certain times in my life where I know I'll look at my diary and go, oh, this is just that 10% too much. I really, I know I'm tipping it here. And that's when I think, okay, well, what are my tools to cope with? I'm pushing the boundary further than I really want to push it. But for whatever right. reasons, I have to. And so, and it's usually good stuff. You know, there's lots of good stuff going on. I'm saying, yes, 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 yes. But at the same time, I'm going, yeah, you're taking on a little bit too much here. So what do I do? Sleep. Not negotiable. I have to get my nine hours of sleep a day. Now, that can be seven hours at night and two hours in an afternoon. That's my favorite. Love it, love it. Um, but sleep is not negotiable to me. I have to make sure that the people around me, my children and my husband, know you can't put anything more on me over this period. So please don't ask anything more because I haven't got anything in the reserve tank during that period. Keep a list of everything that you want me to tackle as soon as I'm through this challenge and then I'm onto it for you. So, you know, teaching others how to help you to not be triggered, to not be placed in a, a position of overwhelmment. You know, I also right. know things like that's the times that I've got to be careful with my diet. Don't go drinking alcohol because that's going to trigger me. And look, everything's going to be different for every person. Right. Some, you know, somebody might say, well, actually, no, that's when I am drinking because that actually calms me and chills me. And I go, okay, cool. Whatever works for you, that's cool. But know yourself and manage yourself. And then there are other times when I can be free to be much more spontaneous because I've got a lot in the reserve take. You know, I can see that I'm not being overwhelmed um, by stimulation. Um, and so, therefore, I can go, right, you know, who's up for spontaneity? Let's get into it. So it's knowing yourself and knowing what's going to set your triggers and then managing yourself. So for me, it's managed on a physical level. Uh, and for physical, for a lot of highly sensitives, it is about shutting down the senses. So some people in extremes will find it hard to work under bright fluorescent light or you know, working in a nightclub at a bar, as a bartender might be the worst place in the world for you. Or working in an open plan office might be crazy for you. You know, so you've got to find ways of, well, if I'm in an open plan office, what can I do? Can I set up little tiny kind of divisions so that I feel like my space is my space? Um, yeah. Energetic boundaries is a tough one. Uh, you know, do I have to pick the right time to have a confrontational conversation? HSPs will often struggle with conflict because they often feel the other person's energy very, very well and they get confused about what's the other person's energy and what's mine. They kind of take on other people's stuff very easily and, and that can be a challenge. So if you know that Mornings are best for you. So for me, mornings are best. Any tough conversation I've got to have, I will have that in the morning. Any conversation, like for example, I know it's nighttime for you, Nikki, but for me it's morning. I love scheduling uh, interviews in the morning because that's when I feel like I'm on my best game. Um, so it, it is knowing your patterns and knowing what works best for you and then placing healthy boundaries in place and, it's, and I don't have any trouble explaining to people and saying, look, sure, I can do an interview for you at nighttime. That's no problems at all. I've got a heavy day, so 
I'll do my best to be on my game. But if it's an option for the morning, then you're going to get better out of me. You know, it's telling people, if you want the best out of me, this is how you manage me. This is how you get the best out of me. Um, And you can do that with a boss. You can say, you know what? I find that I get sensory overwhelmed. You know, you don't have to go in. I'm highly sensitive. It's nobody's business unless you chew to share that. But if you want to go in and say, look, I get sensory overwhelmed or I find that, you know, by the end of the day, I'm getting really depleted. And so if you've got any deadlines, I would work best and be able to support you best if you could give those to me in the mornings or with as much notice as possible so I can support you best because I find I don't go well with last minute deadlines. You know, so a highly sensitive person probably doesn't make a great journalist of a daily newspaper, but they may make an awesome journalist of a monthly newspaper. So you just got to understand yourself and manage. That's it. Well, there's so many things. This this works in this works into what I do on here so much so well because uh, there's so many things that I recommend to people that the more you know yourself and the more aware you are of what you need. And what works for you personally, it makes so many other things in your life and your relationships work better. You know, if if you don't know yourself, nobody else does. You know, you've got to know what you need in all facets of your life, and then you can help other people to relate to you better and make your relationships more successful. It's that simple. Absolutely. You've got to be aware of what you need. Yes. Couldn't agree more. One of the best things that happened when I did uh, start to realize what was going on with me was being able to educate my husband. Now, as I said, he's a very compassionate and sensitive man, but he's not highly sensitive. And he really would not understand what was going on when I was getting overwhelmed and stopped the planet. And, uh, And being able to explain this to him, it made so much sense. And now he's so gorgeous. You know, I could walk in the door and he'll take one look at me at the end of the day and just go, oh, darling go lie down for a while or go and have a rest or go and grab a glass of wine and watch your favorite show for an hour or you know he knows I need to just chill out before moving into any further energetic exchange Um, and I'll text him sometimes and say hey had an unexpectedly big day today feeling quite depleted do you think you could step up with the children's duties tonight you know of running teenage children around or whatever um but but even though so i'm teaching him about how we can have a better relationship and that creates a better home but likewise that paves the way for him to do the same with me even though he's not highly sensitive he can still have a bad day and say i'm depleted i've had enough you know, can you take over tonight? I want to walk in the door and just collapse and do nothing. And I go, yeah, sure. So it is, it does create stronger relationships. And that moves us to what about the parents of highly sensitive children? All right, blessings and gratitude. (laughs) One of the biggest challenges, though, I do see consistently is those that are parenting highly sensitive children. So I really want to reach out and say, I understand the challenges you're facing, particularly when a highly sensitive child goes into meltdown mode, when they have the biggest tantrums that you've ever seen experienced. And that looks like complete overwhelmment. It's where their senses are overstimulated on every single level and they just don't have the tools to be able to calm themselves down. So they usually will go into a big tantrum and this can be happening at any age from being a toddler right through to adulthood. Those of you that are parenting, though, I feel the pain 
because you're wanting to help them. You're wanting to help them to calm down. The easiest thing you can do is to allow them to isolate themselves. Let them go to their safe place. Create a safe place in your home for them. It can be their bedroom or it can be a corner of a lounge room that you can watch them and supervise them. But really, they need to be away from everybody else's energy so that they can start to calm their own senses down. Now, the natural reaction for parents is to be able to go and comfort their child. But they sense your energy. They sense your overwhelmment. They sense your frustration. And they take that on as well. So it actually doesn't help them to calm down. Isolation is the key here. So what I encourage you to do is keep an open door policy, let them go into their bedroom and let them just try and calm themselves down, whether it's with crying. You might then find that the crying changes in intensity, that it starts to lessen, it starts to ease off. As it does, that's an invitation for you to gently go into their room and I will sit on the edge of the bed and place my hand on them. Now, they may have a reaction where they withdraw their body from you. That means they're not ready for your touch yet. They may even tell you to go away. Now, do listen to them. They will tell you what they need. So do go away. They're not rejecting you. They're not throwing a bigger emotional tantrum. They are sensing what they need, aloneness. And then as it calms down again, as you hear the sounds that they're making, whether it's crying or whimpering, or allow that moment to just gently re-enter the room again and try again until you get your timing right. And then it's just to gently know that you're there to support them. Don't try and fix anything. They are already likely feeling ashamed or embarrassed. Simply just be there for them, knowing that all is okay that this is normal and that their body is having a big adjustment to a huge flood of cortisol and that they need to rest. And the best medicine is sleep. If they can sleep or if they can at least be peaceful, the body will realign into a calm state. Actually, we we are out of time, would you believe? Oh, thank (laughs) you so much, Nikki. What fun it has been to talk about this and thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, I tell you what, we will make sure there there are lots of links on the page for the show on my website. Um, there's all kinds of links to your website, to the, the self-test for people to go to find out more about themselves, to um, get more information. Um, so the self-test, the, the books um, for Jane's course that you can take a look at. Actually, uh, Nikki, I would love to. I would love to offer your listeners a 25% discount on the courses. If they want to just put a note in that says ready for love, I'll know that they're one of your listeners and I'll give them that little discount. Let's get people embracing their sensitivity because it is the greatest gift of creativity that anybody could be given. Awesome. And we all know that I love creativity. So anything that increases creativity, I'm on it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it is. It's it's the top 1% of the world's population that are the best, you know, the best of the best, whether they're the sportsmen, the politicians, the artists, uh, the business people, the entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. They are all highly sensitive people. So it is actually the gift of creativity. So let's get that out there and happening and spreading the love. Awesome. So if you go to readyforloveradio.com slash highly sensitive, 
you will find all the information about Jane and her website link, the links to all the information, and the replay for today's show. So, Jane, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experiences and the information and helping us all to understand more. And like I said, I, I got some interesting answers for myself. So that's, that's good. Oh, that's and, wonderful, Nikki. Thank you so much. And I'm just very grateful that you just keep spreading the love. So thank you very much. Well, that's, that's awesome. And like I said, thank you for, for helping us to understand and, like I said, answered some questions for me. And I, I passed the information along to my brother. He needs to listen to it too. <laughs> so, and listen Terrific. To, I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio.